0: 2 Corinthians 9. We're going to continue our series uh, that we started, REACH, and that we have the letters down here. R was for receive his salvation, and this REACH is what it means to be a disciple. So you cannot be a disciple until you first of all receive his salvation, right? That's the starting point. If you've never done that, then all the rest of this is pointless for you. We can't earn God's favor. We get it by grace. We receive salvation by grace. That was the R. E was enlist in his body. And uh, Brady talked about that and how we would like you all to be, and if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, part of that is being enlisted in your local body and doing things here in the church. And we have lots of volunteer opportunities. If you would like to volunteer... Uh, You don't have to sing, you don't have to get up in front of people and speak. If you would like to volunteer to help the church, maybe you don't even know what you want to do, come and talk to Brady and we will find something for you to do to help. We have lots of things. We have people working out in the parking lot, people, greeters, and a lot of things that go on behind the scenes uh, that that I don't even really think about and that mostly time we don't think about. So enlist in his body. A is abide in his presence. My stand keeps falling here. I might have to get a different one. Abide in his presence. And Brady talked about that last week. And Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. So that's going to transition into what I'm going to talk about today. And the C is for contribute. And one way we can bear fruit is by contributing to Christ's ministry. So, if you haven't guessed it yet, yes, I'm going to talk about money today. We can contribute money, but also we can contribute our time in ministry. So I want to talk about those two things, money and ministry. And let me say this first of all, if you're a visitor to our church today, uh, we don't ask you to give money and we don't expect you to give money. But if you go to church here, if you've been coming here regularly and you're being blessed and ministered to, thank you, and God is working in your lives, then you should be giving to this church. So first, the, first I just want to mention a couple of reasons why people don't give. couple of reasons why people don't give. One is greed. And um, Colossians three five tells us that greed is idolatry. So if you are a greedy person, money is your idol. You have put money before God. And greed, if you're greedy, obviously you don't want to give to the Lord. You want it all for yourself, right? Listen to 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money. Uh, A lot of people say this saying that money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So that might be one reason why people don't give. Another reason is because people lack faith. They trust in their money. They trust in the money they have. They trust in their paycheck more than they trust in God. So when you get money, it's not that you're greedy. I'm not saying you specifically, but this type of person It's not necessarily that they're greedy, it's that they just have more faith in that money than they have in God. And Jesus talked about this in the parable of the sower, and he talked about how some people, the seed that was sown among the thorns, it grew up but the thorns choked it, and he said that was the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, because money is kind of deceitful. If you have a lot of money and you're feeling secure based on that money, that can be taken away from you anytime. And I think anyone here knows that. You just have to look at the stock market and what it does, right? Um, Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Okay, so that, that's just a couple of reasons for you to think about. If, and if, those, if you see yourself in either of those, you're not giving because you're greedy or because you're trusting in your money, then those are sins that you need to confess and ask the Lord to help you forsake those and just move on past that. So that's enough about those. Now I want to talk, 2 Corinthians 9, about some principles for giving. Alright, 2 Corinthians 9, look at verse 6 and 7. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So out of this passage, I want to see four things, four principles for giving. First of all, giving should be planned. Alright, he said everyone should give what he has decided in his heart to give. So we should plan ahead. You shouldn't, when payday comes, you shouldn't pay all your bills, and then if you have any money left, give that to God. You should plan ahead how much you're going to give based on your income, and uh, make that your plan and be committed to it. You decide. It says everyone should give what they decide to give. Not what I tell you to give, not what Brady tells you to give, but what you decide, so you, in your heart, Look at your income, pray to the Lord, and decide what you're going to give. And Proverbs 3 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. So again, not the leftovers. You don't pay everything, and then if there's anything left, give that. Plan ahead and give the Lord the first fruits. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, you can never give spontaneously. Everything has to be planned. It means you should have a plan, and times will come up where you will spontaneously give. You'll see a need, and you'll give to meet it. But overall, you should have a plan for your giving. Secondly, giving should not be reluctant or forced. All right? It says that, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Compulsion means you're being forced to do it. So if you have the attitude, I'm going to give money to God, but I really don't want to, that's not what God is looking for. He doesn't want someone to give reluctantly or under compulsion. Don't feel like you have to give. You should not give because you feel pressured to give. All right? And so my purpose here is not to pressure anyone and not to make you feel guilty that you're not giving or you're not giving enough. That's between you and God. All right? I have no idea. I don't know if you give you know, $10,000 a week or $0.50 a year, right? And it's not my business. That's between you and God. So don't give because you feel forced to. Don't give out of guilt. Don't give because you feel pressured. And another thing, don't give out of a desire to get rich. You will hear preachers who promise you, if you give seed money to my ministry you will be rich. All your money problems will be over. All right, don't fall for that. And don't give. That's a horrible, horrible motivation to give to the Lord. All right, don't fall for that. There's nowhere in the Bible that promises that you will be rich. There are promises in the Old Testament to Israel as a nation that God would bless them financially. And there are promises for us in the New Testament that God will take care of all our needs. But there's no promise that we'll be rich. And if you read in Philippians 4, where Paul talks about, you know, the famous verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's talking in that verse about money and how much money he had. If you read the context, he says, I've learned to live with almost nothing. I've learned to live with a lot. And whatever condition I'm in, I've learned to be content." And I can do all things. I can be poor, I can be rich through Christ who strengthens me. So don't give because you feel forced to or because uh, you're doing it to get rich or for the wrong motive. Because the right motive is, this is our third point, giving should be cheerful. God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful just means happy and eager. Uh, you know, I'm happy to give, I'm eager to give, I want to give, I enjoy giving. How can we develop that attitude? God loves a cheerful giver. When if you say, Well, I'm not really cheerful about it, how can I develop that attitude? I think there are two things that will help us be cheerful about giving. One is if we look at our money, our, our material possessions as belonging to God. All right, everything we have belongs to God. And he has made us stewards of that. Whatever you have, whatever possessions you have belong to God. And he has entrusted them to you to take care of them for him as his steward. So if you give money to the church, to the Lord, to a ministry, you're just giving God what is his anyway. And you're spending it, you're using it the way you believe he wants you to use it as a faithful steward of him. And the second thing I think that helps us be cheerful giver is a spirit of uh, gratitude. Right? We should be grateful. We should give out of gratitude for what God has given us. Um, if you look down at the last verse in that chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift... And that's the gift of his son. The gift of his salvation. And as you read down through there you'll see a lot of Paul uses the word thankfulness and thanksgiving and grace and gratitude. So we should give to God out of gratitude for what he's done for us. Uh, And if you are a Christian God has saved you that's something to be grateful for. And so our giving should be based on that. And then the fourth principle is we should give generously. Verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. So think of a farmer who has a thousand acres. All right, and he plants that thousand acres. Some years are good, and he gets like a lot of, uh, of a huge harvest and some years are bad and he gets a smaller harvest but if he plants only 5 of that 1000 acres it could be the best year for crops ever he's not going to get that much if he plants the whole 1000 acres and even if it's a bad year he's going to get more than he would on a good year out of the 5 acres right so we understand that principle you sow a lot you reap a lot well That verse in this chapter is specifically talking about money and giving money to the Lord. All right. And again, I'm not promising you that if you give a lot to the Lord, you're going to get rich in this life. Jesus talked about, in Matthew chapter 6, when we give, we're laying up treasures in heaven. So, you may not reap generously in this life, financially, but you'll have treasures laid up in heaven. So, I want to encourage every one of you to just think about what you're giving to the Lord and if you're if everything you have belongs to the Lord are you being a good steward with what he's given you and are you giving him are you giving cheerfully with the right attitude right motivation for God's glory and I'd like it to challenge you to think about it and pray about it this week and You know, ask yourself, are you doing what the Lord wants you to do? And then give what you decide in your heart, not because you're forced or compelled or feel guilty, but give it cheerfully for the Lord. All right, now I also want to talk about giving in ministry. Giving in ministry. And what is ministry? I think sometimes we uh, get confused or we just use it in different ways. And when we think about a minister, we think about Brady, right? He's the minister of the church. He's the preacher. He's the leader. And that's true. Um, But ministry really, the word ministry or to minister just means to serve. A ministry is a service. Whenever you read the, the word minister or ministry in the New Testament, it's a word that means to serve or to be a servant. All right, so this is what Ephesians chapter 4 says. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. It is he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. So God has given these people as gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service. Or some translations say works of ministry, so that the body of Christ may be built up. So the job of the leaders of this church are to prepare you to be the ministers, to be the servants of God in this church. If you will turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to look real quickly at um, Paul and his method of ministry, his model of ministry and his method of ministry. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the first thing is that we see about Paul's model of ministry was that he was courageous in the Lord. Verses 1 and 2. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. Now, you can read about this in Acts chapter 16, where this happened. Before Paul went to Thessalonica, he had been in Philippi, uh, where he and Silas were beaten and thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. And that's where they were singing hymns at midnight, and the angel came and uh, let them out of their chains. And the Philippian jailer was going to kill himself, and Paul said, no, wait, we're all still here. And the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Then from that experience, when they got out of prison in Philippi, where they'd been beaten, thrown in jail, chained up, they went right to Thessalonica to speak to the Thessalonians, to minister to the Thessalonians. And Paul says, even though we went through that in Philippi, with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel. So they were courageous in the Lord. You ever feel like this is not you? You're not courageous in the Lord. Yeah, I feel that way a lot. Uh, you know, oftentimes the Lord, I can feel the Lord leading, you know, to speak to someone, and then and I won't. Sometimes I do. I'm not saying I never do, but sometimes I don't, and then I go away, and I'm like, why didn't I say something? Why? Why are we like that? We lack courage. Um, And we need to pray for courage and be courageous like Paul was. You know, we're probably not going to be beaten and thrown in jail. So, it's not quite as bad as it was for him. So, let's pray for courage to minister to other people, All right. Secondly, his motives and his message were true. Uh, Verse 3. For the appeal we make does not spring from error, okay, he wasn't telling them something that was false or erroneous. He was telling them the truth, God's truth. And we have God's truth in the Word of God, the Bible. We have that to share with people. So he says it didn't spring from error or impure motives. His motives were pure. His motive was to glorify God and to help people. That was his motive for ministry. And that should be our motive. Uh, and we see his conduct was also honest there in verse 3, nor are we trying to trick you. He was not trying to be sneaky in getting people to turn their lives over to the Lord. He was straightforward. His message was true. His motives were true. And he was honest about what he was doing. And then another thing he spoke to please God, not men. Verse 4. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. The same goes for us. We should be trying to please God, not men. It's God who tests our hearts. Ultimately, we have to answer to God for what we do. And just like money belongs, the money and our material possessions belong to God, our time belongs to God. And we are stewards of that time. He has given it to us to use for his glory. And someday we're going to have to answer for how we did that, how we used the time he gave us. So we should make good use of that time. And then uh, the fifth thing is he wasn't out for personal gain. In verse 5 and 6, you know that we never used flattery nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed because he wasn't greedy. He didn't have to put on a mask to cover it up. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. All right, so that's a model of Paul's ministry. He was courageous. He had the true message. He had the right motives. And he was sincere. Now, how did he carry out his ministry? What was his method? That's in the next few verses here. First of all, you see, Well, overall, when you read all of this, you'll see that he invested in personal relationships. That was his method of ministry, just personal relationships, spending time with people, interacting with people, building relationships. So look at verse 7. We were gentle among you like a mother caring for her children. He interacted with people in a gentle way like a mother caring for her little children. Uh, He shared his life. Verse 8. We loved you so much that we delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you have become so dear to us. Surely you remember brothers. So he treated them like brothers. He treated them like a mother. He treated them like brothers. He shared his life. And then um, verse uh, 11 tells us that he behave like a father. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. So, uh, not that he was condescending to them, but he's using these examples of loving relationships to describe how how he dealt with people. That was his method of ministry. He just built relationships, and then he would deal with people in a loving way, sometimes in a gentle way like a mother, Sometimes like peers, like a brother's, brothers and sisters, sometimes like a father who might be more stern and more directing, but always intimately and sharing his life. And what made his relationships so effective? Look at verse 10, "You are witnesses, and so is God of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believed." So what the the first thing that made his ministry so effective in these relationships is that he lived a holy, righteous and blameless life. Okay, we can build the great relationships, but if we don't live a holy life, we're not going to affect those people at all for the Lord, right? In fact, we might do more damage than good. And does this mean Paul was perfect when it says he was blameless? Does that mean he never committed a sin? Because if that's the case, then, you know, this is, weird. we can't do this. It's hopeless. It's great for Paul, but what about us? No, I think what it means is when he offended someone, when he wronged someone, because I'm sure that he did, he apologized, and he took the step to make things right. That's important in relationships, and it's hard. Maybe that might be the hardest thing. Uh, I know in marriage it's hard right when you uh, uh, when you have a an argument with your spouse don't you want them to admit they're wrong I know when my wife and I argue it's like 99% her fault <laughs> um, and she would probably say the same thing 99% my fault but no it isn't right you're both at fault and someone has to say uh, I'm sorry we have to swallow our pride and say I was wrong And I'm sorry. Okay, that's what we have to do in all our relationships. When we offend someone, you just have to admit it. You know, swallow your pride, humble yourself, and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I hurt you. I'm sorry I offended you. And let's move on. I think that's what Paul did, and that's what he means by saying he was blameless. He lived blameless among them. Because when there was a problem, he would address it and fix it, so that there was nothing left to blame him for. Not that people won't still blame you, right? Because that's what people do. Um, all of us. But though that's how you build relationships. That's how you make your relationships grow. So the reason his relationships in ministry were so effective was because he lived a holy life. And then verse 12 tells us that he was encouraging comforting and urging them to live lives worthy of God. So he was empathetic too. He dealt with them like a parent would deal with a child or a sibling would deal with a sibling. And he encouraged them and he had empathy. And, uh, you know, the whole thing was about relationships. Not about preaching at people, but about living a holy life and speaking to them and building that relationship, and letting God work through that. So, in conclusion, I'd like to say this. God does not need your money. Uh, Psalm 24, one: The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Uh, I think it's in Psalm 50, it talks about, he... God owns the cattle on a thousand hills which is also an old hymn. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills the wealth in every mine. He owns the mountains and the rocks and rills the sun and stars that shine. Right, he doesn't need your money. Uh, Deuteronomy 10:14 To the Lord your God be, to the Lord your God belong the heavens even the highest heavens the earth and everything in it. Also, God doesn't need your service. Acts 17, 24, and 25. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. So, if God doesn't need your money and he doesn't need your service then why does the Bible tell us to give money and ministry? Because that's his plan. That's his, The plan he's chosen to use is to work through us, through sinful human beings who have given our lives to him and yielded ourselves to him, and he wants to work through us. And as we do that, we can build up, like I already mentioned, like Jesus said, We're storing up treasures in heaven. So God wants you to give and he wants you to serve him because you benefit from it, not because he needs you. That's how he's chosen to work, through us. Just sinful, simple human beings and we have a chance to serve the God of the universe, to do his will, to glorify him and to benefit when we get to heaven from doing that. Our time, our talents, and our treasures, they're all gifts from God. And we are stewards of those. So again, I encourage you, just like I encourage you to pray and think about your giving, I want to encourage you this week to think about your time and your ministry. Are you spending your time the way God wants you to? Are you making the best of your time? Are you serving God? Uh, are you serving God here at church? Are you serving God by building relationships where you can share your faith? It's not enough just to have relationships, right? We have to live out our faith, and we have to share our faith. That's what ministry is. So I want to challenge you to think about that with the relationships you have, especially maybe family members. How are you doing in those relationships? And ask God to lay one person on your heart Someone you know, maybe well, maybe not very well, that you can work on specifically on that one person or maybe more and build that relationship and minister to that person and bring them to Christ. Alright, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you that in spite of the fact that you don't need our money, that you've and you don't need our time, you don't need our service, that you've given us the opportunity to serve you through our time and talents and treasures, and that by doing that, we can be part of your plan, and we can honor you, and we can lay up treasures in heaven. And I pray that you'd help us to think seriously about that, and to do your will, seek to do your will, and that we would give our money and our ministry Cheerfully, because you love a cheerful giver. In Jesus' name.